Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Josh, co-founder of Urban Valor. Welcome to another episode of the Urban Valor podcast. Our guest today is Marine veteran Jose Guevara. Jose spent the first half of his enlistment attached to the Marine Security Force Battalion out of Bangor, Washington. He spent countless hours training and becoming proficient with close quarters battle and recaptured tactics for urban warfare. Jose then got attached to 3rd Battalion, 7th Marines out of 29 Palms, California, with whom he would conduct a combat deployment to Iraq with. Jose gives great insight on performing at a high level in the Marines and transitioning back into the civilian culture. If you enjoy this episode, go give us a five-star rating and leave a comment to help support our veterans. The bigger the community, the bigger the impact. If you'd like to contribute your story to Urban Valor or know anyone else who may, reach out to us on Instagram at Urban Valor TV, or you can email us at team at urbanvalor.com. Enjoy the show. All right, now we're rolling. Okay. Um, Thanks for being here, Jose. Of course. Um, let's just start off. How about you just introduce yourself um, and then uh, tell us what branch of service you served with and uh, what you what job you did in the Marine Corps. Sure. So my name is Jose uh, Antonio Guevara. Uh, I'm a Marine Corps veteran. I served from 2005, June of 2005 to 2000, uh, June of 2010. Uh, I joined as a infantryman with a special... Uh, uh, tour or assignment as a security force marine. I was there in uh, beautiful Washington state, banger to be exact. Um, just played around in the woods while it was raining all the time, pretty much. That's mm-hmm. all we did. And uh, uh, after that, I uh, I went to beautiful 29 Palms. <laughs> right and, on. And uh, I served with uh, Kilo Company 1st Platoon, 3rd Battalion, 7th Marines. Thank you for your service, brother. Thank you. Thank you for your um, uh, Talk to me a little bit about uh, your childhood upbringing. Where were you born and what was it like for you growing up? Sure, sure. So um, I was a, a child of, of immigrant parents. Uh, both came from Mexico uh, and uh, just, you know, hardworking, collar, uh, blue collar uh, individuals. My mom was a housekeeper uh, in different houses in, in, uh, in, in Orange County. My dad uh, went from job to job wherever he could get uh, a job. Did a, you know, he was working at a construction shop or, uh, or I'm sorry, construction job, um, restaurants, car washes. So uh, I was born in Santa Ana back in 87. Uh, and uh, that was just kind of like my upbringing there. Did my middle, my uh, elementary school years there. After the Boeing industry or not the Boeing industry, the aerospace industry went down. A lot of shops here closed down. El Toro closed down. So. Uh, my parents saw a lot of opportunity in Texas, so we moved out to Texas. Did my middle school, high school years out there. Oh wow! And uh, in San Antonio, Texas, and uh, from there, uh, I think the the thing that kind of uh, caught my eye and and kind of uh, caught everybody's eye, but the catalyst for me to think about the military and join the military was nine eleven. Mm. Um, I was a ninth grader going into video tech class or some typing class as a ninth grader and had TV on. I walked up and the, the teacher usually, usually was telling everybody to sit down and shut up and, you know, get class ready. But he wasn't, he was just sitting there and just kind of just, you know, sitting back in his chair and, and it was kind of eerily quiet. Everybody's watching TV and I see this, you know, they're replaying the first plane hitting one of the towers and, you know, I looked at my buddy who was already sitting down and, you know, he was like just watching intently and 
you know, what's, what movie is this, man? What, what trailer movie is this? You know, whatever. And what kind of trailer is this? And, and he was like, no, nah, man, this is, it's happening in New York right now. And like, I just turned around, sat down and I tried to digest what was happening. And, and, uh, you know, uh, like a lot of us, we, we took it personal and, uh, and yeah, um, you know, in my parents, we, you know, my, my family, we love our culture. We love Mexico. We love our, our town in Mexico and, and, and the whole story of how Mexicans came to be and all that, right? There's a, Mexico culture in different sections of it are very rich in culture. Um, but from, from, from learning who my parents were and their eagerness to, um, and, and, and willingness to, risk a lot to come over here and find opportunity for themselves and for for us for my sister and, and myself and my my other cousins um showed what america was to them and you know they came here to create a a home they, they created a home with us and and you know i knew that from from early 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 on you know they they love mexico and everything but they chose america to live in and they chose this to be their country um, and they're proudly now um, naturalized citizens, um, but you know, I, 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 when I saw that, it, it really uh, it shook me, and I wanted to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, they they attacked not just those towers, not those just people, but America, and from you know what America stood for, and um, a lot of people believe and continue to believe in America. So yeah. um, that was <clears throat> one of the things that uh, kind of prompted me to look into the military so i did um the next few days as a uh, freshman right as a freshman wow. yeah so i i knew i was gonna do it and you know um i, I kept up with the news i don't think i actually started engaging with a recruiter until my junior year mm-hmm. and um during my junior year i was in lunch and i would see them come in you know the army recruiter and the navy recruiter the air force and san antonio is a big air force uh city mm-hmm. they're I think at one point I had like five Air Force bases. Oh wow! Yeah, Kelly, Lackland, Randolph, uh, Brooks, and I can't remember the other one. But and they also have Sam Houston right there, which is a big Army base. Um, but anyways, uh, I talked to a good number of them. I talked to the Marines, and I remember he was a gunny. And um, I think I, the Army and the Navy, they were offering. Bonuses. I think that it was the army that did most, and they're offering entry bonuses. And I asked the Marine recruiter, like, "Hey, how much are you guys offering?" <laughs> and he said, "Get the fuck out of my face." <laughs> <laughs> and and he he he's like, "You know what? Go talk to them. I don't want to talk to you." I'm like what? <laughs> and that was that's what kind of got me like on the hook. Like, what the hell? And a few months later, maybe I was like, "All right, you know what? I'm going to go to the office and just you know talk to whoever I need to talk to." So I go in there and and. Uh, you know, they, you know, hey, you know, thank you coming in, you know, what, you know, asked me those preliminary questions. And then they said, it's like, I, you know, is it, is it the Marine Corps really, really what you want to do or really what you're looking into? And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, and then he said, well, you know what? We don't want you yet. It's like, get out of the office, go to the, ar- the army recruiters, go to the Navy recruiters, see what they're offering you and then come over here and see, and we'll all, we'll make you an offer. And if you want, if that's what you want, you can wait it all out and then you can make a decision. Then. And I'm like, wow, you guys like, 
are weird about this recruiting thing. Like, it's just, everybody else is just kind of like giving us money. And so I did. I, I went to the Army. I went to the Navy. went to the Air Force. They weren't, you know, they weren't offering what I wanted to see. I mean, I briefly looked at uh, Airborne for the Army. And I always knew I wanted to be front lines. I did not want to be supplied. I did not want to be in the back, in the rear, or, you know, cooks or, you know. And not to say that, you know, they, their job was important because it really was. Um, I just felt that I wanted to be in the front. I wanted to see what I was made out of, uh, uh, made out of. And, and, uh, so yeah, I came back and I said, you know what? I got it. And they, they reiterated, like, there's no bonuses. There's nothing. We're going to treat you like crap. You're going to hate it. You're going to be away from your mom and your dad and your family. Your, your girlfriend you have right now in high school is probably going to cheat on you with your best friend. And they, they ran down like everywhere and they still asked me, they still want to do this. And I'm like, Yes, yes, please. You know, like, <laughs> um, they're already testing your mental toughness at that point. Yeah, yeah. I was like, son of a bitch, I'm in, you know. <laughs> and, uh, sure. So, yeah, uh, I joined, I signed up. I had my parents actually, uh, sign because I was still 17 in, in the depth and it was between my junior and soft and, uh, junior senior year. Um, so I was in the depth for about a year. And, uh, and just to let everybody know what that is, a delayed entry program, yes. right? So yeah. the delayed entry program is individuals that are interested in joining, um, but they still need one of the bigger requirements, which is a high school diploma. So they're just waiting to be in there, but they're in the process. They're uh, go through the medical uh, uh, rigorous medical evaluations through MEPS, which is the military entrance processing uh, station. Um, and uh, so I did all that. They had all my stuff ready to go and, and I signed. So I was just waiting for a date to ship out date. And, uh, I was straight up infantry and then my, I explained to my mom, in, infantry, um, uh, isn't very translatable to the Spanish uh, language. <laughs> so, so I couldn't, I had to explain to my mom what that was. And once I, once she gained a good picture of what that was and, you know, this is 04, uh, leaning into 05, she, she got really scared and she got really depressed and, and, uh, um, good lesson learned ignorance is bliss um and i went to the recruiter and i said hey man i need to change this i need to do something else but i still want to be in the same field and he said well what about if you do something for two years and then you go into infantry and i was like what is that I was like, that's security forces you got the scores you got your asvab um let's do it i'm like sweet and then then i found out you can go to all these nice places like you know road to spain and like you know cuba and all and we'll get on ships and be around the world and then the movie uh, Rules of Engagement came out, so we're all like, oh, crap, we're going to be all high-speed, low-dragon. <laughs> and, uh, nope, banger. Um, protecting uh, subs and, and, you know, just hanging out in the woods. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's that's kind of the story. I, I, in 05, I went out to San Diego, uh, and then went to School of Infantry. Uh, right afterwards, uh, in the fall, I went to Security Forces uh, Training uh, School up in uh, Chesapeake, Virginia, and then uh, Banger, uh, early early days of uh, 06. What was uh, what was boot camp like for you? Boot camp, uh, it, it was it, it it was it was great. I mean, I never had anything like that. Um, I played football in, in Texas, which is a, a big thing in Texas. Mm -hmm. uh, played soccer, and, and you know, I, it was very rigorous, very tough, and stuff. But um, boot camp, Marine Corps boot camp, is something that I don't really think you can really. Uh, Get, prepare yourself for right um it's it's it shocks you and it they they uh 
make sure that they break you down as much as they can to rebuild you the way they need you to rebuild so you can perform as a Marine. Um, but it was one of the, one of the places that I gained a lot of confidence in myself, you know, looking at a, you know, the steroid heaven, looking at that thing, you're like, holy crap, I'm five, five, bro. Like, how the hell am I going to get up there? Like, and sure enough, when I got down, you know, I looked back up and I'm like, holy shit, I did that. Like, and then they gave us another obstacle and that, that doubt, that level of doubt, like I either, either it was really small going moving forward or I can get rid of it really quickly. Like I just did all these things. I can do this. And it, and it only makes it, that only grows and keeps going as you go in th- throughout your uh, military career. I think. Yeah. Um, SOI, same thing. You know, we were, it was a five, 10 K, 15 K, 20 K. I'm like, Jesus Christ, 20 K. Like, like, that's like a day and a half. And walking and like, <laughs> it's like, oh crap. And, and sure enough, when we did it, we finished it. It was, you know, people could barely walk and it was way more, you know, I think SOI was way more than the crucible. The crucible was a big thing in boot camp, but, um, it, it just grew on it. Like, it, like when you're done with the crucible, you're essentially Marine and you're like, wow, I can do everything. I can do anything. Like nothing could stop us. Right. Um, so it, it, uh, yeah. And then after that, I was just kind of learning everything and, um, they needed to do to, to perform. What was, uh, what was a typical day like for you? Um, once you got the, um, through your security force school and you got the banger Washington, um, what, what, what was a typical day like for you? It, it was, um, it, you know, zero, uh, five thirty was Reveille and, and, uh, you know, PT in the morning, do whatever administrative things we needed to do during the day, any kind of training. Um, and one of the very cool things that we had, uh, that we were blessed with at uh, security forces in, in 2006 was that we were getting a lot of returning NCOs and officers that were either had deployed in Afghan to Afghanistan or were in the push or, uh, you know, had some kind of deployment to Iraq. Mm. Um, and, and that meant that we had seasoned NCOs that were training us. And um, I think we had two, uh, we had a staff sergeant and a, and a, a captain that were in the first LAR and they were in the push. Um, and we had some other individuals, other NCOs that were, um, with three, four and, and, uh, one seven, um, that were just seasoned and they knew what was going on. You know, it was, it's different from learning all your formations and your, you know, whatever formation you want to do on your, on your squad patrol as you learn it in SOI. But, you know, there wasn't a lot of mount training. There wasn't a lot of, uh, urbanized training about like how do you walk down a street and you know not just that but IEDs were kind of a big thing at that point so how do you deal with that you know and and so we got a lot of good training with that um, call for fire was a big thing that was ingrained to us and um and 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 it really paid off when I got to to the fleet mm. uh, when I got to the fleet I was a lance corporal. Um, got busted down, got busted down like a lot of us at Banger. Um, <laughs> you ain't a real Marine unless you get busted down. That's, that's what Chessie Puller said, you know, and then he, he tried to go against Chessie Puller. Uh, so, um, you know, another thing that I, that I, that I was very fortunate to have is I did a combat life service course in, in a Banger. Um, and then I had a lot of exposure with RTT guys, which are the, uh, recaptured RTT. tactics team. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and uh, pretty much like the, the Marine Corps SWAT team for us there. And um, and I also became a coach and a PMI. Nice. Um, so 
uh, we shot uh, and, and like like in golf, I'm a better caddy than a, than a, than a golf player. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a better coach than I am a shooter, but I'm a decent shot. But anyways, when I hit the fleet, I had so much experience, so much knowledge that was just pounded into my brain by these seasoned NCOs um, that um, even though I came in there as a Lance Corporal, a lot of individuals would go and get in there from security forces as corporals and, and sergeants. And um, I really, really uh, was uh, in an advantage uh, position, an advantageous position uh, with all the rest of the individuals. And at that point, you know, all the seasoned guys, all the guys that had one pump under under their belt and you're about to deploy, they're looking at you like you're a freaking fleet dodger. You have no, you're still boot, you know, whatever else. But whenever somebody had a question or, you know, hey, who can do this? You know, I could just raise my hand and, you know, spill it off. Like, how do you ask for uh, closer support from either fixed, rotary, you know, artillery? We had a guy that taught us uh, how to get fire from naval guns. And it was just like, what the hell? Like, when are we ever going to use naval guns? I don't right. think, I don't think a, uh, a naval gun can get off the a shot into Iraq. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but no, it 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 was uh, very fortunate um, that, that that I had some time there, and I met some really good pe good people, good Marines, um, and and yeah, so a lot of good training. Huh? That, that's that's uh, that's one of the things you know I look back on it about Banger is is. Uh, um, uh, they 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 mold a lot of really squared away Marines, man. Like yeah. squared away. A, a, amen. Uh, we had Fort Lewis. You know this. Uh, it was the outer south of of uh, of uh, Bangor, Bremerton area, um, which was a little bit further. I'm not sure if you, you have any or if, uh, if you had heard, ever heard of Yakima. Yeah. Yakima. There was a big training center, and you could do anything there. I mean, you could pretty practically drop a you know, a JDAM or whatever down there. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a lot of good training, um, shooting from a turret, um, you know, moving on a moving truck onto, you know, Ivans that are popping up. Mm -hmm. I mean, where else do you get that kind of training? Right. Um, uh, we had, we we linked up with some uh, uh, pilots in Fort Lewis. Uh, I didn't get a chance to do it, but they were setting up, you know, help uh, getting individuals ready for deploying off, off, off of uh, helicopters. You know, doing fast ropes off helicopters and spider rigging and, and doing all that. And um, a lot of individuals were able to get sent to different schools. Mm -hmm. um, for RTT, they got to uh, CQB school or shooter school or breaching school or uh, DM school, right? For the designated marksmen, the breaching to, you know, to breach stuff and CQB close quarter battles. And then you know, I went to uh, coaches course and, and PMI course and then other individuals went to Sears, um, Islick, uh, yeah. yeah. So all those, all McQuist. those. I, they sent me to McQuist. Yeah, that's one of the hardest schools that I, I that yeah. I ever heard of. I think MSG is one of the hardest ones. McQuist is yeah. up there. I mean, you turn into a fish. You have yeah. to like, like you grow gills at one point. I, I heard. Dude, my uh, fucking squad hated me when I came back because all of our PT was in the fucking pool, bro, after that. <laughs> and they they were begging to go on runs instead of fucking hit the pool, you know? Yeah. 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 Uh, but no, it's, 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 uh, yeah, I, I, I can't, uh, I think while, while I was there, um, everybody was anxious to get to the fleet because they wanted to deploy. They wanted to go to the fight. We, we trained to be in a fight and then you're sitting there in Washington waiting for some, for nothing. Because it never, nothing ever happens, and, and and that's good. That's a very good thing. That nothing happens there. Um, 
but everybody was very anxious to, to, to go there. So, um, but yeah, when we hit the fleet, um, it, 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 and there's a lot of people that that were in the fleet that did not like us, did not like when we came in. And, uh, but you holding your own weight and becoming an asset off the bat for the unit, the squad, the platoon, the company, uh, is, is, is very advantageous for you. And, and, uh, sure enough, I, I, I went out with the, with the team, with the, with the fire team out to Iraq mm. and I practically came back with a, with a squad. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it's, you got to kind of re-earn your, your respect coming from security forces and getting dropped into the fleet, right? Oh, big time, big time. Mm. And, 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 uh, but it all goes through that, you know, people want to know that you're able to perform in the field. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to, they want to see that you're able to, you're not lost in the sauce and in, in the field when it really counts, when the rounds are run, you know, and you have to do some kind of complex thing. A lot of it too is we played a lot of Sims games in, in, uh, security forces which make us which teaches somebody to learn out uh, to, to to think outside the box right right how you look at this and you're just like you go straight at it or kind of figure ways to maneuver around it and and get the mission accomplished without uh risking yourself too much so yeah can um, you just explain real quick what a sims is <laughs> sims game i and, and i i i the way it was kind of taught to me is is uh uh it, it helps your brain kind of develop different ways of recognizing picking up information and keeping it so you can kind of uh do things with it and and when i think the idea is when you're in in the shit when you're the rounds are flying and you have to you know everything's exploding you have to pick up on things so quickly listen to the radio listen you know look at where your guys are at and everything else that you have to um do everything on the fly it has to be quick and it has to be accurate and it has to go fast so these sims games that they teach uh, the one that was played for me was they would make us do all these exercises, get us all winded, and we're just kind of just tired. And they'll show us, you know, a few different items on on the ground, and you're supposed to kind of, uh, you know, take inventory of what they are, the condition they're in, any kind of characteristics of those items, and then they make you. And then that's only for like thirty seconds or a minute, and then they take you on a crazy ten mile run, and then you come back, and then they put you in front of you know on the on the table with you know, with a pen and paper and you're supposed to jot down everything you saw. And if it was a quarter, what condition was it? What was a year of it? You know, was it rough? Was it, you know, whatever, was it heads or tails? Yeah. Um, and, and different things with the other. So it was played differently in, in, in different, uh, with different instructors. But yeah. I remember that it was, the overall goal was to sharpen your mind. Under heavy uh, stress, huh? Yeah, all big time. And, and yeah, and then, oh yeah, you had your sergeants and corporals just like, ah, ah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. What unit did you get dropped to? In in uh, in the fleet. Yeah. And uh, I went to three seven. Three seven. No shit. He says uh, twenty nine palms, right? Twenty nine palms. Uh, we yeah. called it. We called it twenty nine stumps. Everybody, right? <laughs> <laughs> How was that, man? The armpit of the Marine Corps, right there. Um, <laughs> twenty nine palms. Um, so yeah, three seven. I, I I loved it. Uh, there were some really good guys there. Um, a lot of history. A lot of lineage. Um, and a lot of, a lot of pride within the unit that, within the individuals that I got there with. Um, I got there right after, uh, their second Ramadi pump. It was very, uh, uh, low kinetic, uh, pump, uh, by pump, I mean deployment. Um, the, they they were just kind of very static, had a lot of presence patrols, a lot of security patrols, a few IDFs, but not much, um, and they were coming off of that 
and we were actually we didn't know uh, Iraq was dying down and in uh, Afghanistan was was kind of building up that was around the year that uh, two seven and and uh, I think one seven three four had some difficult deployments out to uh, Afghanistan so we all thought we were gonna go there and nope we ended up going to uh, Iraq but no, 3-7 was really good. They had some really good NCOs, really good uh, leadership. Um, and when uh, you get when you got dropped in the um, uh, that unit, were, were you guys uh, doing any workup to go overseas? Or sure, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. So uh, traditionally, I, I got the right right as uh, they were coming off their leave block, and they had gone and done their their uh, makeup uh, Marine Corps ball in Vegas. So a month. After I got there, we started doing workups. We started doing, um, and they, they they evaluate or they work the whole unit up from the get-go, right? So you you start learning of how to shoot by yourself and move by yourself. And then you do buddy bounce, and then you do team bounce, and then you do it as a squad, and then a platoon, and then you st start doing some stuff um, uh, as, a, as a company. And then by the time we knew it, uh, we're, at we're at Viper, Mojave Viper, which is the CACs. Mm. Uh, the combined uh, exercise, uh, arm exercise, um, and um, you know, funny enough, one of the advantages of being in uh, in Twenty Nine Palms is that you can go do the Viper uh, without the evaluators. Uh, my my uh, our CO or our BC, I should say, a battalion commander, found out that nobody was using the Viper a month prior to us going to the Viper. So the BC said, "Hey, let's just go do the Viper." So he did the Viper twice. And the Viper is is what is that exactly? I'm sorry, it, it's the CACs. The, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the oh, CACs. so like the whole course, like the whole operation, kind of. Exactly. Yeah. So it's the the whole operation, the whole CACs. To and this is uh, every unit uh, when they were going, they were pumping out to Iraq or Afghanistan in the 2000s. They had to go through uh, the Mojave Viper, which is the combined uh, arms exercises, where they evaluate the whole battalion or units that are deploying as 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 deployable units, um, and they evaluate them. Right? They evaluate them as as, as a platoon, a, a battalion. I'm sorry, a platoon company, battalion, and a regiment, mm -hmm. um, and. Uh, you know, they bring in artillery, bring in tanks, they bring in fixed air, rotary, um, and they evaluate everybody in certain exercises. Excuse me. And if they don't pass, then they're not, they're deemed non-deployable and that gets reported to the Pentagon. So the Pentagon has to figure out who are they going to send in their place and what have you. So um, we found out, our lieutenant commander found out that nobody was doing that ex the exercise uh, previous to ours. So we did it just for fun. And then we actually did the real one. Mm. Um so we had about from May to like uh, late July, we we're out in the desert in uh, 29 bombs. Wow. Um, yep. Did you guys uh, did you guys fly to Iraq or did you jump on ship? So we 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 flew. We flew. Um, most of our, most of the units in in from 29 Palms to that point um, flew, and so we went off March Air Force Base uh, 18 hours, six to. Bangor, Maine, then from there, Linsky, Germany, and then from there was uh, Kuwait. Mm. And then uh, at Kuwait, uh, they flew us to Al-Assad. We were there for a couple of days. Um, we took over all the VICs, all the vehicles that we were going to get, a whole bunch of MRAPs, um, and we probably acquired some stuff we needed for the MRAPs from mm -hmm. neighboring units. <laughs> and uh, shout out to 
to uh, Gunny uh, Mark Shahan. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, and so, yeah, we, we punched out to uh, the western uh, side of Iraq. Uh, Al-Qaim province was um, our main uh, area of operation, our AO. Um, at that point, we were, the, the, the whole military, we were, we were all, you know, already looking at the exit sign. And um, so when we got there, uh, it was very hands-off kind of approach that we had. Um, our AO for my company was Al-Qaim, Al which, uh, which is on the border of Syria, on the Euphrates River. And we had it from there to um, Ubaidi, which was about, I want to say, 20 clicks, 20 or 30 clicks. And then we had about 70 clicks north of the river and 70 clicks south of the river. And we had that whole way over a company. Mm. So it, it was very, very uh, big at that point for us. Uh, looking, you know, looking a few years back, it, we would have been just at the city of Al-Qaim. But, um, but like I said... Everything was kind of dying down. We were dealing with the D squad uh, of the insurgency. You know, we all the A squad, B squad guys already got taken out. The C squad were, you know, dying down as well. But we were dealing with some some individuals that were very, very low on the totem pole that um, did not want to engage us uh, face to face or head on because they knew what, what was going to happen. And. And uh, they decided to continue to play the cat and mouse game with us. Um, but even at that, they weren't proficient at that. They were blowing themselves up. They were uh, uh, in placing IDs that uh, never went off or we could easily find them. Um, so it was, it, was, uh, it was very interesting deployment for sure. Mm. How long were you out there? It was seven months. Seven months deployment. Um, we did catch some stuff that were some interesting stuff. Uh, we participated in a few raids um, as augment uh, forces for some special forces, army special forces that came out of Al-Assad. They were looking for uh, high value targets. Um, and we, we helped them with uh, on the ground kind of um, reinforcements or augment forces to them. Um, and then, you know, that's our AO. So we knew who, who's who, what's what. Um, and, uh, and yeah, there was an instant where we had some very, very sneaky squirrels go out, uh, sneak into Syria, take care of some business, and then come back. And, and we were there to assist them as well. Um, but the most stressful, most stressful uh, parts were, were where I was actively engaged in was um, patrolling through the, the souks or the markets. Mm. And... It is in the, in the middle of the day, of course, and it is so freaking stressful because of so many potential threats. Um, we would have a squad in a, in a, in a tech column, meaning there's these two rows of, of, of Marines and they're staggered. Right. So you're, you have, you know, one in the front and then the guy behind him is 20, you know, 15 meters behind him and the other one's 15 meters behind him. And it goes all the way back to the person in the rear. And your job as you're moving forward is to, you know, not step on an IED, um, where there's trash everywhere, by the way, and making sure that your guy behind you and the guy in front of you are still there, making sure 
that there's nobody in the alleyways that will snatch you, right? Making sure that in the alleyways where your buddies are going through, there's nobody there trying to snatch them up. We're looking for also for the for the trigger man and whatever window, door, roof, or whatever. Looking for, uh, I said trigger man, right? Trigger man. Mm-hmm. Then the cameraman who's also wanting to record so they can use it as propaganda. So you're looking for that douchebag as well. And then snipers, right? And all those thoughts are going through through your mind every second. And you're like this and you're taking one, two, three steps, you know, one, two, three steps. And you're just thinking constantly doing all that, turning around, you know, and who's that guy right there coming at me? What's that guy doing walking towards my buddy? Does he have anything? Where's his hands? Oh crap. What's, where's that guy back? And then, so probably one of the most stressful yeah. environments and uh, still having to make sure you still see your partner in front of you and yep. behind you. Yep. Dude, I remember those markets and they got so packed that yep. that that 15 meter distance turned into <laughs> fucking 2 meters sometimes where yep. like you couldn't even see your partner in front of you, you know? Yep. And then you and then uh you feel like you're getting fucking lost, you know? Yeah. And and yeah, and and you're like when is it going to I I <laughs> after that I never mind Going on a crazy patrol in the desert, like it's just okay. I can see everything. Nobody's like yeah. close by. I don't mind doing yeah. this, um, but you know those those were so stressful. So many things that you're looking for, and then you know when we that da- when we had different ops where there was other units. It's like okay, like if I engage this way, what's my geometry of fire? Can I shoot that way because I know there's units. You know, got blue. Uh, we got troops over here, or you know whatever friendlies over there. So. Um, knowing all those things, knowing you had air, knowing you had, you know, uh, backup stuff, you know, it's, it's in re- reporting to the COC, reporting to the convoy commander and all that, um, uh, quite stressful. And, and, uh, uh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that in a while. Yeah. And one of the, one thing, one thing that I, that I, that I, I just thought about it. I haven't thought about it in a while. I used to think about it quite a bit. And kind of one of the things that it makes me appreciate America or home and apple pie and freaking, you know, pizza and freaking cheeseburger. Um, I was on a patrol like that and um, I was walking backwards, I remember. And um, I knew that I was coming up on a butcher shop. And... I uh, I bumped into something, and I turned around, and I just turned around, like coming over to this thing, and it's this, it's this this goat, and it's this goat that's all skinned, you know, hanging by the the, the hind legs, and I look closer, and I'm like, that's not a fucking goat, that's a fucking dog, oh, and. And I'm just, and I, and I, and from there, like right there, like it didn't compute and everything that I was thinking about just stopped. And it was just like, that's a fucking dog. And I'm, as I'm looking at it and I'm looking at his face, fucking dog looks up at me and I realized that motherfucker was still alive. And it was just hanging there skinned. Right, you could just see everything there, and he was still alive, and it was just like, "What the fuck?" And 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 I, I my regrets, I didn't shoot it. I should have shot it, like just fucking one to the head right there, just boom. 
I know what I got in trouble. I would have gotten in trouble. I would have probably gotten yelled at by somebody. But I like, and I, I and that, that didn't, that didn't, um, I didn't cross my mind. My thing was that the squad was still moving and I, I was still trying to dissect it, digest what I was just looking at. And man, it made me think about my dogs, you know, like it was like, holy crap. Like, yeah, they just fucking skinned a dog alive. What yeah. The fuck? And, like, and yeah. And it was just like, and, and, and I didn't realize until I saw his teeth, like that's what I saw. Like, I'm like, those are fucking canines. Those are, you don't see that on goats, you know, and, and a goat has this particular almost like a sheep that has like a chomping, has chompers and it has mold, molars in the back. Um, but yeah, that one like just really kind of like, what the fuck? Man. Um, yeah. Uh, how far, um, how long after you uh, got done with that deployment, um, uh, I imagine a little bit after you got back, you transitioned out, is that right? So I came back and came back as a, as, uh, Took over the squad. Uh, got meritoriously promoted. One of my accomplishments. Um, and I had to make a decision. Uh, I didn't have enough time to do the next deployment, and I they, they didn't offer. They didn't let me extend. So the question was: Do I want to do an, another enlistment, another four years, um, or get out? And and I got out. Um, I got out, um, went to Texas, to Houston, started a job there, working for uh, my uncle as a cement company. And um, I, it didn't work out. Just It was just something different that I didn't want. And uh, one of the fortunate things that I did before I got out is I, did a, I took advantage of this program where I got my CDO, my commercial driver's license. Mm. And uh, I went back to San Antonio from Houston, after being there for a month and went to, to my mom's and staying there and started applying different jobs and um, fell back on, on, on my CDO and, and I got a beer distribution uh, a gig and uh, it was really fun actually got me kept me active driving around stuff and and everybody loved me you know who doesn't love the, the guy who's bringing beer to the store <laughs> where you go buy your beer so I'm the, I was a beer man and, <laughs> and I had a big you know Dos Equis beer truck and stuff. So, um, but I, you know, I did that for a few months and, and then, uh, the semester, uh, uh, for school came up and I applied to the community college there, did a semester. And, uh, right when I finished in May of 11, I realized that I could still use my GI Bill anywhere in, in the United States. And I decided to move back to California. Just the pace of life here is a lot different from, from Texas, from San Antonio. It's a lot faster here. And, um, and, and I really enjoyed it here. Yeah. You know, the weather, you can just can't beat the weather and the mosquitoes are more bearable here than they are over there. Those mosquitoes over there, you know, pick up a, a cat. Um, yeah. The things are big. Did you, uh, did you feel like a changed person from before you joined the Marines? Um, and then, you know, upon getting out? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You know, I, you know, I was, you know, I'm a man, and the Marine Corps made me a man, and the man I was, and, and I, it, it changed me for the better, for a lot, you know, for sure. Uh, I, I knew that I was, you know, capable of doing a lot of stuff and and doing everything. I just didn't know how to um, piece it together and kind of position myself to where I was going to be successful. Um, and I think that's that's where 
it kind of starts for a lot of guys. You know, we get out. I mean, we're the tip of the spear. You know, we're 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 um, heightened at all levels, right? We're individuals that are performing at different aspects of lives at a at a heightened level, right? Our physical performance is is higher than anybody in shooting anybody in, in any other military in in the U.S. Right? And you know, our laws are at a higher standard. You can go to jail for being late to work, mm-hmm. right? For adultery. That's, that doesn't happen in the outside world. Um, our, our code, our ethos that you have with each other, that brotherhood, it means something. It, it means more than what we see in the gangs that we have in the streets here in LA or whatever else. That That is actually something that, that I mean, people go and have their Elks Lodge and their, you know, their mason whatever the little clubs that they have and there's camaraderie sure and even at you know the school i went to they, yeah it's it's they have a little code there where you help each other out but in the marine corps like you call i come mm-hmm. you know and you're not heavy you're my brother um and so i think that's where a lot of a lot of people kind of have a trouble with because we identify with that so much that you get out and nobody tells us, you know, every the society expects us to, hey, just be a regular civilian. And you're you're looking at that notion like, I'm not a nasty civilian. I I fucking I was tip of the spear. You know, I could fuck I could you know, I could give me a squad, I'll take over this city, you know, give me a platoon, I'll take I'll take over the world type of you know mentality. And but no, it's like, no, go get a nine to five, be productive in society, don't you know, whatever. And and um I think when we try to do some stuff or transition and, and try to get into whatever, that small little bump, that small little failure, or something that you go you don't get or, or road stop or whatever, is amplified by the fact that, bro, you're this tip of the spear, could take over the world, you know, you're a Marine, you could do everything with your rifle type of deal. And it doesn't happen and it brings up so much shame to the individual. And it is something that a lot of individuals don't know how to cope with. A lot of people don't know how to work with it, and some of them, some of us, veer off the track, mm. off the uh, off the, the the straight and narrow, and cope with it with stuff that they shouldn't be coping with, either drugs or alcohol abuse or gambling or mistreating, you know, your family members or family or whatever, and it just kind of spirals out of control at that point, where you attempt to do other stuff and you keep keep hitting these roadblocks and you see them as failures. But it's just you not understanding how you need to get it get it, uh, worked out, and I think a lot of us uh, um, are going through a, an identity crisis, where you know we come out and we're you know top shit, you know whatever it and whatever it is in in in, in the military. Mm-hmm. If you're a cook, if you're logistics, if you're supply, if you're a grunt, if you're a pilot or whatever. You know, you were, that was your lifestyle. That was your life to be able to perform that job the best you can because it depended on you. Like every, a lot of money and lives depended on you to perform that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's who you were. You know, that, that you didn't need any, anything else. You knew everything from boot camp, SOI or your MOS school. You know, you knew everything you needed to know to perform and maybe you went to some leadership courses and stuff to make you better a leader and you know be able to manage and supervise individuals but nothing was out of the realm when you come out here it's like you're not that person anymore and we're like well, what the hell are we are we a veteran are we you know how do i what, what does that word even mean and 
you know, I could still turn it on, you know, I could still freaking rack tack and let's go. And I think that's what a lot of us are, are having difficulty in our transitioning is that we don't know who we are anymore. And not just the purpose, you know, because I think that's what is next is who are you now? Why, you know, what is your, um, who are you supposed to be? And I don't think anybody has ever labeled that. Um, and what I'm talking is not something that I came up with. Uh, I do have to give a little shout out to uh, Dylan Bender, who is a readjustment uh, counselor for uh, the, a vet center and down in um, uh, the Orange County Vet Center in uh, South County, mm-hmm. uh, which is a VA facility. He's uh, a fellow Marine. Um, uh, he was a recon Marine, if I, if I, if I remember correctly. And... Um, he does these courses and he, and, and he explains all that, all that, uh, stuff. And when he explained it to me, I'm like, yeah, dude, hell yeah. Like, I'm not, I'm, yeah, I'm a veteran, but, you know, veterans are, you know, veterans, but I, I came from a high deal or high level of living. Society's asking me to live down here. And I, like my, like anybody else, we had trouble adjusting to that. Mm-hmm. Um, Aside from connecting with the resources and different veterans that were going through that, I learned um, to pick up on different tools that I can use um, to help myself uh, understand what I was going through and um, help other people, other veterans understand what they were going through because Mm. um, I was coming across a lot of veterans that were uh, struggling. Uh, Some of them needed needed a talking to, some of them needed a good ass chewing, some of them needed to just go get a beer or or go fishing, you know, and right. get, get away from everything for a minute. And um, I think that's that's very important. Uh, holistic kind of therapy, going out camping for a weekend, or going fishing on a boat, or in, in a river in the middle of like Central California. I think that's very much needed because um, one of the theories that I had is that we never got the time to decompress as far as, far as what we did overseas mm-hmm. and what we saw. Um, in uh, in World War II, we got on boats. You know, when we finished the war in the Pacific, it took them, you know, months to get back to the United States. And when you were still within your cohort, within your platoon, within everything. Same thing in England, you know. Korea was the same thing. Vietnam, it still took a few weeks to get back. Mm. Um, for us, it was 18 hours. You know, yeah. and the next day, next day you're in America, in the cheeseburger at Burger King, you know, <laughs> like, you know, in, in the Whopper. And, and, uh, it, 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 I think a lot of us, if you, if you can remember to those days right after you got back, when you're, you had that eerie feeling of like, where the fuck is my rifle? And so it's, 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 uh, yeah, it's very interesting kind of looking back and, and thinking about those things. Yeah. Um, yeah. well, <sighs> Well, we're going to get ready to wrap up, man. Sure. That, that uh, time goes by fast. Sure, um, sure. But, uh, you know, before I do, I'd like to give um, everybody opportunity to say any last words, man, before we cut the tape. Sure. Um, you know, if, if um, I don't think our job as veterans um, or our responsibilities ever end to fellow veterans. And I'm not saying, you know, start a nonprofit or donate all the money you have to a nonprofit or help every veteran you can, you, you, uh, you see, but if you see somebody hurting, if you see somebody that going through, you know, sometimes a 
a simple hello, how you doing, brother? How you doing, girl or sister or whatever? Um, how how you doing? You know, um, what's what's on your mind right now? What's going on? And you may not need to be able to fix their problems right then and there, but there's so many resources out there that you can connect them with um, that is very very easy to help people. And sometimes you don't even know you're saving people's lives. You're saving somebody's life. Mm. Um, I have a, I have a memorial band with a buddy that, that died in country, but I have two individuals on here, um, that we lost afterwards. And it's, it's a very bittersweet to see a lot of guys go to a funeral, but, um, those individuals are never replaceable. And, and, um, I just, it, it, it breaks my heart to hear of other individuals losing other individuals and, and we, that needs to stop. Um, right. so do your buddy checks and if you come across, you know, uh, any vet that, that seems like they need something, just engage, just say, hi, how you doing? What's your, where are you from? You know, what do you serve? Where'd you serve? And open a conversation up and you never know. They might need, you know, a ride and 20 bucks or, or whatever else. They might need to connect, get connected to the VA. And that's, right. that's, you know, open your phone. And Google it, and that's it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, that's it. That's all yeah. I got. Hey, well, thanks for being here, Jose. Thanks for your service, and uh, fucking you. Semper Fi, brother. Raw. Push it to the limit, I can't go no more. Red light, no way, I'm coming back home.